0: We read scripture this morning from Romans chapter 12. We take up this chapter in connection with our treatment of Lord's Day 21 and its treatment of the communion of saints. And this passage beautifully sets forth the responsibility and the privilege that is ours in our interactions one with another. We hear the word of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, we read this in connection with Lord's Day 21. In the back of our Psalters on page 12. We now transition to question and answer 55. We'll read all three question and answers, but question and answer 55 is on the foreground this morning. Lord's Day 21, question 54. What believest thou concerning the holy Catholic Church of Christ, that the Son of God, from the beginning to the end of the world, gathers, defends, and preserves to himself, by his Spirit and word, out of the whole human race, a church chosen to everlasting life, agreeing in true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of him and of all his riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know it to be his duty readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. Question 56. What believest thou concerning the forgiveness of sins, that God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, neither my corrupt nature against which I have to struggle all my life long, though will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, there are many blessings and privileges associated with church membership. The communion of the saints is a rich blessing, and many of passages in the Bible speak of that. Psalm 133, as we're going to sing a versification of in a few moments, Lord willing, speaks of the great blessing of brethren dwelling together in unity. It being good, it being pleasant, it being a blessing for saints to enjoy that fellowship and that communion and that support one with another. What a blessing that God gives peace and unity to a body of believers. There's nothing that causes more heartaches than strife and division Troubles and difficulties. People easily complain about fellow saints. When there's bitterness, trying to avoid certain ones. Not wanting to talk with them. And then complaining about others. We can get caught up so quickly in this sin that's set forth here in verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than than he ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So easy it is, in pride, to esteem ourselves and to puff ourselves up and to begin to look down on others. God calls us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. We do this in every area of our lives. But specifically, the application here. In Romans 12 is given to our life within the church. In this world, we're called to row against the stream and the current of worldliness. In the church, we're called to seek the well-being and the good of others. And we're infected with that disease of high-mindedness by nature. By nature, we're inclined to seek self and to only be concerned about myself, my well-being, How can I be benefited to join a body for me and for the benefit that would be mine? The result then is that we don't walk with an obligation toward others. We don't see a duty, a calling toward one another. It's easy even in that pride to think we really don't need the body. We're just members. We're not the body. And as members We need the body. And that's the point that the Apostle here is emphasizing. As you present your bodies a living sacrifice, as you walk in a way that you're not conformed to the world, but transformed, you're living in a manner that is not saying, me first. You're not living about yourself. You're living for the good of God and one another. Not be jealous then of other members, not try to make our song be that only song, but that we seek the well-being of one another and encourage one another for the glory of God. Beloved, we look at this Lord's Day and we look at this passage under the theme, the communion of the saints, noting the basis of it, the expression of it in our lives and the blessedness that is ours. Being members of Christ. That's the emphasis of the catechism. When it speaks of the communion of saints, what's the first thing it brings up? First, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of Him and all His riches and gifts. Now as we go on, we have a further explanation here of what the church is. The church is a communion of believers who fellowship one with another in Christ. They care for one another because of their union with christ i believe the communion of saints that's the confession that we make we enjoy that communion on earth but there are challenges there are struggles we're sinners those around us are sinners like a choir that's on earth there are imperfections Sometimes we might have a choir and the bass is too loud or too heavy and it's drowning out everything else. Or we need more sopranos. It seems as though things are not balanced. So it is sometimes with the church. But in heaven, everything's going to be perfect. And in heaven, that perfection will be evident. But what of the communion of the saints? If we think about that question, we would answer it in a lot of different ways. We might say, well, the communion of saints is that mutual love that we have one with each other. That it's the fellowship we're privileged to enjoy one with another. And we maybe talk about our experiences, especially when we were sick or we had some surgery and how we really experience that love and that care one for another. Sometimes we are inclined to say, but we don't really experience it so well. It doesn't really seem like the saints care about me. And perhaps if we're isolated or even homebound for a time, it seems as though we're somewhat lonely. And it doesn't seem as though we enjoy that fellowship and that communion as we would desire it. But it's important for us to note the communion is not what I get from others, first of all. Instead, it's about me using my union with Christ for the benefit of others. It's not about what I get, what I experience. That's contrary again to verse 3. Verse 3 here would be for the one to say, it's all about me and it's about myself and to think of myself then more highly than I ought and to expect everybody to be serving me, to look out for my well-being. It's about others. It's about how am I treating others? What am I doing for the good of the body? And first of all, It's a matter of my union with Christ. And so that's where we have to start. Easy it is for us to be critical and to say, but the communion of saints isn't what it ought to be. We need to point the finger at ourselves and ask ourselves this question. Am I walking in union with Christ? That's what the Westminster Confession points out also in the handout, the bottom of the first page. All saints that are united to Christ Their head by His Spirit and by faith have fellowship with Him in all His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. Every believer is united to Christ. And united to Christ, we share all the blessings that are ours in Christ. And we need to understand that, first of all. Often, this is the source of our problem. We don't understand the necessity and the importance of, of our walking in communion with Jesus Christ. This is the fundamental principle and the basis of fellowship between believers. We understand this from nature. A flower is beautiful, but as soon as you cut it off from its stem, that flower now is going to deteriorate and turn ugly because it's been cut off from its source of life. If a believer is not walking in communion with Christ, not abiding in Christ, that flower of the believer is not going to stay beautiful. It's going to shrivel for a time. It's going to struggle. We need to be living out of Christ as living branches. As John 15 sets forth that inseparable union to Christ. He's the vine, we're the branches. And if we're not living out of Christ and we're not enjoying the fellowship and communion with him, then we're going to be spiritually unhealthy. We're going to become selfish. We're going to become someone that people are going to complain about. And they have every reason to complain about us. Because we are not walking with Christ as we ought. When we talk about the communion of the saints, we're talking about relationships. And we're talking first about that vertical relationship between us and Jesus Christ. And then secondly, the horizontal relationship between us and our fellow believers. We realize that when we're talking about that horizontal relationship with fellow believers, it begins with those in the pew with us here at Calvary, but it extends beyond so that every believer is included in that. God has his believers scattered throughout the world and the fellowship, the communion that we're privileged to enjoy with them is precious as we encourage one another in the Lord. Well, let's talk for a few moments about our union with Christ where there are problems and where there is discord, rather than laying the blame on others, the question is, am I walking with Christ? So quickly and so easily, we become critical of everyone around us and critical of the church, critical of the other believers. But our fingers need to be directed toward us. Am I walking with Christ as I ought? Am I giving my body as a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ? Am I seeking to live that life of holiness and godliness out of my head, Jesus Christ? And we examine ourselves. All who have faith are members of God in Jesus Christ. They're united to Christ. And Christ is the one from whom we receive our life. He is the one to whom we are bound by faith. And that precious gift of faith, a gift from God, unites us to Christ so that all the benefits of Christ are ours. God took me who was dead in trespasses and sins, and he united me to Jesus Christ, in whom there alone is life. And the result is that I now have life in him. I am no longer dead as I was previously. The life that I now live is is not my own, but it's the life of Christ as it lives within me. And that union to Christ brings forth fruit. As we live out of Christ, we show forth praise. We trust in Him. We know Him. And we grow in our knowledge of God and the greatness of His glory. And we walk by faith, trusting in Him and laying hold upon Him and knowing the confidence that is ours in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you walking in union with Jesus Christ? Do you know Christ as your Lord and your Savior? That apart from Him, there's only death, there's only sorrow. But knowing Him and living out of Him, there is joy, unspeakable. As we're given to know then, forgiveness, we're given to know the grace of repentance, we're given to know the wonder and the joy of the redemption that He offered on our behalf. Do I believe in Jesus as the one who has delivered me and has paid the price for all the offenses that would distance me from God? And do I live out of Him and do I seek to show forth His praise in everything that I do and say? That communion with Christ is precious. And we enjoy that communion in prayer. We come to His house in order to hear his word proclaimed we search the scriptures in order to grow in our understanding and appreciation of his way and his work in my life all that believes lives in communion with christ and that's our confession i believe that i am not my own but i belong to my faithful savior jesus christ and belonging to jesus christ i confess a wonder I have life, I have hope, I have joy. That union to Christ dictates all my relations with one another. It dictates all of my life. I'm not living for myself. I'm living for Him and for His glory. And I seek to show forth evidence of that by the fruit of that faith. As that faith produces abundant fruit in our lives. It's easy to take a passive approach with regard to this Union to Christ and His church. I show up at church. I attend regularly. I'll see if the sermon has any application to my life. But I don't really have much to do with fellow members. I really don't open the Bible much during the week. I don't spend much time on my knees in prayer with God. That's not walking and living in union with Christ. The one who lives in union with Christ knows that I cannot live for a moment apart from Him, and that I am entirely dependent upon Him for everything that I am and everything that I have. The church finds her joy in her union with Christ. And the church's interest is in Christ and promoting the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. The burning passion of the child of God who is united to Christ is to speak of Christ to those with whom he or she has contact. We love him. We rejoice in what he's done for us. And we desire to be living witnesses of the wonder of his grace and his power in our lives. God's saints, as they live on earth, have common interests apart from the gospel. We enjoy getting together. We enjoy talking and discussing about things and challenging one another with various interests that we have. And all that is good. But within the congregation and within the church and within the worship of the church, that which is primary is our union to Christ. We gather as those who have all different desires and all different interests, but when we gather in worship, we gather as those united in praise and thanksgiving for Jesus Christ and our union with Him. The church isn't about social issues and politics. It's interested in Christ, the wonder of the gospel, as that gospel touches me. And as I know that union to Christ as my life. We're not members of the church because of anything else. Our union and our membership in the church isn't because of the preacher. It's not because of the nature of the makeup of the congregation. It's not based on man. The church exists not for its programs and for its opportunities. Christ is the reason why I desire to be a member of this church because I believe Christ by his spirit is present. And I desire to grow in my walk with him, to show forth his praise. The gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ is precious. And in Christ, I know the forgiveness of my sins and life everlasting. Now, beloved, because we are united in Christ, and because we share that union with Him, we enjoy forget we enjoy fellowship one with another. You can't say, "I'm not interested in that person." We really don't have anything in common. You do. You have Christ in common, and even though you maybe can't talk small talk with that individual because you don't share the same passions and same desires, you share Christ, and that's the essence of the union. That we enjoy as a body of believers. We have Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. And we are heirs together then of the grace of life. That's an emphasis that the Bible uses, especially in the context of marriage. But also, it has application within the church. There are times when we don't understand one another. There are times when there might be even conflicts. Or we might even be rubbed the wrong way by various individuals. We need to remind ourselves continually the essence of the union we have is in Christ. All those other things are secondary and we can't let those secondary things rise to the point where we start thinking of them as primary. We struggle. We don't understand one another. We struggle with getting annoyed maybe at one another over petty matters. Christ is the one to whom We are united. And we share that union with him. And we are believers. And we are fellow heirs of the grace of life. God has given us life in Jesus Christ. And we may struggle then to be compatible in certain areas. And we're never going to be. We're never going to see eye to eye necessarily with every individual saint in every different area. But we have in common that which is necessary. Faith in Jesus Christ. And a desire more and more to be conformed to Him. Not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we might live out of Christ more fully. Union with Christ will show itself in our interaction with each other. And that love for God shows itself in our love with one another. The spirit of our age is individualism and materialism. But Christ works his spirit in our hearts enabling us to not be conformed to that spirit but to be transformed to renew our minds and to live unto him. We show that then beloved, readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. That's the point that the catechism here makes first of all i'm united to christ and because of that union with christ i now desire and see it as my duty readily and cheerfully to employ those gifts for the benefit of others i'm living not for myself i'm living for the body i'm living for christ and i seek to use my gifts then for others now this is an important duty that we have according to matthew 25 Matthew 25, you recall, is the parable that Jesus tells about Judgment Day. Jesus employs a bunch of different parables there. He's telling parables about the sheep and about the goats. He talks about the fact that those on his right hand are to be commended because when they were thirsty, they gave him drink. When he was in prison, they visited him. When he was hungry, they gave him food and all the rest. And remember how the saints say, What? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison? And then Jesus says, What you did for the least of these, my brethren, you did for me. Here in Romans 12, especially in verses 13 and following, we have pretty much the same spirit laid out. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, blessing them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoicing with them that rejoice, weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Don't be respecters of persons. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We are believers. We are recipients of the grace of life. We live now as those who are united to Christ. And we seek to show forth his praise as we have opportunity among those with whom we interact. And remember, as believers then, we interact and we show that love and that care. Again, by nature, it's so easy to get stuck up. It's so easy to focus on ourselves. It's so easy to be offended because of petty things. We start becoming like the Pharisees and we start looking down on everyone else and we esteem ourselves. Everyone must know their union to Christ and the wonder of what Christ has done for them. And humbled by that, we count it a privilege and a joy to use our gifts for the benefit of others. And the various gifts are laid out here also in this passage in a beautiful way. There's the gift of ministering, the gift of prophecy, which really has to do with knowing God's Word and encouraging one another in that Word. There's the gifts of rule, the gifts that God gives to those who are put in office as elders, as deacons. That doesn't mean that these more public, more noticeable gifts are better than others, but these are part of the gifts that are set forth here. They're gifts of music and of teaching, gifts of wisdom, of good counsel, gifts of instruction, gifts of comforting, gifts of prayer, gifts of faith and being able to use hospitality for the benefit of others. There are material gifts that God gives in various measures that are able to be used then for the support of the church and for the causes of His kingdom. In the church, God places the believers in order that their gifts might be used one for another. And every believer has an important place then in the church, seeing it as his or her duty to discover those gifts and to use them for the benefit of others. Some say, but I don't know if I even have any gifts. Are you coveting a gift that God perhaps has given to someone else? Are you looking at the communion of saints again from the wrong perspective? What can I get out of it instead of what can I do to help someone? How can I encourage someone? God leads us through the experiences of our lives in order to mold and fashion us uniquely to be used to assist others. So that God leads us through sin and temptation and through the consequences of sin. So that now we... in turn are able far more effectively than another to take someone to our side and to talk with them about the struggles and the difficulties that they're enduring and to encourage them with our own experience and our own hope and joy and our union with Christ God leads us and God guides us in order that we might encourage one another in the Lord and so we join a church not for what we can get we join a church not for what we can get out of it. But how can I praise God now in this local congregation? How can I share the gifts that God has given me with these that He's surrounded me with now? And how together can we glorify Christ who's our Lord and our King? Prayer, love, are gifts we all have been entrusted with by Christ and gifts that we are able to give. And don't think of yourself as more useful or better than another. Again, there's no room for pride. We need to be busy assisting one another by God's grace. If we're called to assist our enemy, how much more the believer with whom we have beautiful fellowship in the church of Jesus Christ. We don't turn a blind eye on other members who are hurting, those who have needs, We're called to be there and to comfort them, to encourage them, to assist them. There's no place for individualism, no place for favoritism, no place for independence. This comes again from the spirit of thinking, what's in it for me? We need to give of ourselves for the sake of Christ and for His glory. Now, beloved, this is really, really practical if we think about it. Sometimes we ask the question, how can I be giving and helping if I'm living in a way that I rarely have contact with other believers? And the answer is that we need to be living with one another. And sometimes we face that to our shame. It's so easy just to come late and leave early. It's so easy for us not to really enjoy interaction one with another. Now, some need to do that for medical purposes, but... It's important that we understand that in order for us to be benefited and in order for us to benefit, there needs to be interaction. And to our shame, years ago, we recall how parents and how families did far more together throughout the course of the week. And now we find ourselves with more modern technology and yet so busy and so little interaction one with another. But working on that Interaction one with another. Counting it a privilege to be able to encourage each other. Being present at worship. Talking with one another. And encouraging each other. Seeking out those whom we know are struggling. Other members need you. And from that perspective, you seek their well-being. And you seek to look them up. It's more blessed, remember, to give than to receive. The Holy Spirit takes sinners united to Christ and now brings them together in a body. A body that's comprised of interaction with members. Members that are dependent on one another. And you remember other passages of Scripture make this even more explicit, such as 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about the nose and the eyes and the arms and who is an arm to say, but I don't need to have the rest of the body. An arm is no good of itself. An arm needs the eyes to see where to go and where to pick something up and the fingers and all of the various aspects of the body serving the whole. Now in glory, that's going to be perfect. But already now on earth, it's revealed in an imperfect manner within the church of Jesus Christ. As believers gather And as we're thankful to God for the various gifts God has given. And as God makes each saint unique, giving different gifts and different experiences, gathering them together in Christ as those then who are not disconnected one from another, but are in communion now, in fellowship with each other. A fellowship that involves endless diversity, which the devil seeks to use to divide. But God, by His grace, uses to unite. Verse 6 states that we have gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Each of us called to use those different gifts, differing according to the measure in which God is working in our lives for the advantage and the salvation of the body. Not acting as though we're so many individuals who have no responsibility one to another, but walking in love. And Romans 12 here is filled with reminders concerning that true love, as we've noted. Love does not prefer some above others. Verse 10. Love demands diligently and fervency. Verse verse 11. God demands when someone does good toward you out of anger that you don't respond to them in like way. You respond in love. Verse 14. The communion of saints, a wonder of God's grace. How is it that God can take these individuals who are so diverse and so different and cause them to live together in love? That's the wonder of the gospel. And that's the power of His Spirit in our hearts. We wouldn't serve one another by nature. We wouldn't seek the well-being of others. But Christ so humbles us. And Christ so works within us our awareness of His love for us of His forgiveness on our behalf, that we're willing to love one another and to forgive one another even as we have been forgiven. God draws His own together and He binds them together in the manifestation of a congregation of believers and their seed. And within that congregation now then, there is life. There is life. The life of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is present as the Spirit of Christ. There's a communion then of spiritual gifts. God bestowing those gifts upon his people abundantly. Grace according to the measure of Christ. Gifts for the edifying of the body, for the building up of the body in love. The general gifts, faith, love, hope, joy, all of the gifts of the Spirit. But then also special gifts and more unique gifts of instruction, of admonition, of charity, of hospitality, and the other. Now, there are times when we look at the church and we become discouraged. And we always have to remember, when we make confession concerning the church, it's an expression of faith. This is what we believe. It's not always what we are going to see. But the fact that we don't always see that doesn't deter us from the confession that this is the nature of the church. To use an analogy, a cornfield might be full of weeds, more weeds in it than corn. But that doesn't move us to say, that's my weed field. We still say, that's my cornfield. The church is filled with sinners, terrible sinners. Men like David who commit adultery and murder. Men like Jacob who are always tricking and deceiving and not trusting in God. People like Peter who are cocky, proud, who believe themselves more spiritual than others. And Jesus laid his life down. For such sinners like me, he overcame evil with good. And God humbles us daily. God gives us to know the wonder of his grace toward us. He moves us to make us a confession that I am chief sinner. So that when I start thinking evil of the church, I need to remember that church would be a better church if I wasn't there. Because my addition to the church adds to it sin and sinfulness. But we don't point the finger. Do I deserve to be a member of Christ's church? I do not. I don't deserve to be a member, but He redeemed me. He delivered me from sin. He gave me this precious gift. He united me to Himself. And He's the one now to whom I owe my all. He has a purpose for me. I can't understand it. I don't know what He's trying to do in my life. I stand in awe of it. But with thankfulness, I bow before Him and the wonder of His goodness and His mercy. In spite of what others do, I have a divine responsibility before God. And I don't judge the church on the basis of a group of individuals maybe that seem to be walking and living in a godless manner. Rather, I talk to them out of concern. I bring my concerns to them where necessary. And I follow Matthew 18 out of love. And when necessary, bring the matter then to the church, if necessary. But by God's grace, we live in the wonder of that expression of union and communion. And in that, there's blessedness, there's joy. The catechism talks about the wonder of each knowing their place, not only, but then in connection with question 54 again, that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. And we looked at that previously and saw that the foundation, the basis of that assurance is Christ and our union to Christ. Because of what Christ has done for us, and because God chose us from eternity, we are able to know and believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of Christ's church. If that membership was up to me, I would fail. But Christ is the one who promises to preserve and to keep me. And he's the one who will maintain that in his goodness and his mercy. Now God works in us that consciousness. He works in us that confession. And while that confession is on the basis of his work from eternity and choosing us, and his wonderful work on Calvary and giving us a Savior, he works in us the fruit of a Christian. The signs of a Christian. In the lives of his children, he's producing fruit. The fruit of works. Good works that he before ordained that we would walk in. They're not our works, first of all. They're his works. That he's working in us by his spirit. But he's doing so in such a way that we manifest and we reflect then the signs of a Christian. that when people see us, they see Christ in us. They see that there's a difference because of that work of God's grace. Now, first of all, there's a testimony then of our fellow saints in Christ. As we walk in the light, we enjoy fellowship one with another. And the saints bear witness to us that we are of them and that we share with them Christ and the marvelous wonders of His goodness and of His mercy. That's impossible if we're living in sin and we're living unrepentantly. The fellowship then with Christians is going to be severely severed. And we're going to cut ourselves off because we don't want to be told about our sin. We don't want to be told about the necessity of repentance. But living in communion and fellowship with one another, we walk together. And that love and that bond, that union is seen In the fruit, that's evident. The love, the forgiveness, the interactions that we enjoy. That, first of all, is going to be a testimony to us. This is where I belong. But then secondly, what God does is by working the fruit of Christ within us more and more as we live in the midst of this world and as we confess Christ, the world bears witness that we're not of the world. Not only do we have the testimony in our conscience that we are Christ and we belong to Christ, we also increasingly grow in the awareness that I don't belong in this world. This world is given over to sin and when I stand up over against it, I'm strange. I'm a stranger here. This is not my dwelling place. If we're friends with the world, we're going to be enemies with God. When our walk is such that we Know ourselves to be standing at odds with the world. That's the testimony of Christ in our hearts. You belong to Christ. And your membership in His church then is precious because that's where you belong. This is where you enjoy the communion and fellowship with those who are like members and who share in those spiritual gifts. It's in that communion of saints that the saints flourish. Believers are edified. Believers are strengthened. Believers are encouraged to live and to walk together in the grace of God. Beloved, may God work that wonder in our hearts. There are many weaknesses, and we're well aware of them. Some require discipline. Others require much grace on our part to bear with them. When one suffers, sometimes we don't rejoice as we ought. Do not let those struggles and those difficulties discourage. God is pleased to use weaknesses for the glory and honor of his name and to test us through them. But may God grant us the grace that living out of Christ, we also live in union and communion one with another. May our confidence be that the one who chose us from all eternity, who united us to Christ, is the one who will preserve and keep us so that we are and forever will remain living members of that glorious church, never condemned by God, and able to enjoy fellowship and communion with him now and to all eternity. By this shall all men know. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are mine, and that you love me, and that you delight in me, and that you are a joyful and a happy people who call Your delight to be with Christ and to be Christ's. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank Thee for that union that is ours with Christ. A precious union. A union that we don't deserve, but is marvelous and wondrous by which Thou hast taken us and joined us to Him with an unbreakable bond of faith. And we thank Thee for the fruit that's evident as Thou dost work in and through us humbling us, giving unto us to know our salvation and working in us the fruit of the Spirit and causing that we might in turn walk one with another in that glorious joy and peace. So strengthen us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.